There we go. How's that? Okay, God heard the prayer the first time, so I'm not going to repeat it. So, uh, starting something new tonight, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, because once I tell you, you guys will all moan, and I don't want to hear you moan. So, yeah, I know. But I will give you a hint. I will give you a hint. We're not going to do the entire book. We're just going to do the first part of it. And it's the book that has the most recorded words of God in it. Now, isn't that interesting? The most. Now, some of you may be a real stickler, and you may say, well, isn't every word of God in the Bible? Yes, this is God's holy word, but this is the most quoted words of God in any book of the Bible. So that's what we're going to be going to. But we have an introduction before we get to that. Introduction starts us in Hebrews chapter 9. We need to talk about sacrifices for a little bit. Old Testament sacrifices. There is five Old Testament sacrifices. And these sacrifices are a picture of us. These sacrifices are a picture of Jesus. Now you have to know a little bit of a background here. Real quick, just three little passages in Hebrews. That's going to be our introduction to what we're going to get into. First one is look in Hebrews 9, verse 18. It says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses has spoken every precept to all people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now that's very important. When you look in the Old Testament, Everything is just sacrifices. It's blood. I mean, that's exactly what it is. That's how sin was dealt with. There's a word, a fancy word that we don't use a lot today, and it's called atonement. And that word just literally means covering up. And what they were saying here in the Old Testament is these sacrifices were vital because sins could not be taken care of unless there was blood shed. Remember, when Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, they covered themselves with fig leaves, the Bible says. God says that's not good enough. God says you need animal skins, so he gave them animal skins. Was God being a fashion expert? No. He said because of sin, that sin had to be dealt with. And so the first death to come into the world were two little animals that didn't do anything wrong. And because Adam and Eve sinned, those animals were then killed and skinned, and then they were coverings now for Adam and Eve. It's a symbolic picture of the death of those animals covered the sin of Adam and Eve. Now note, it covered their sin. It didn't take the sin away. See, when you read in the Old Testament here, those sacrifices never fully took away sin. They just covered the sin up. Jump ahead to Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never, stress those words, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those approach perfect. So wait a second. Verses 18 through 22 of chapter 9 says you have to have blood to take away sins. Okay, we got that. That's the purpose of the Old Testament law. But now in Hebrews 10 it says, well, wait a second. Those sacrifices really don't take care of the sin problem. They just cover it up. That's why daily the priest offered sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's why they yearly offered sacrifices for the nation on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, because it never fully took away the problem. It just covered up the symptoms, if you will. Never took care of it. The Old Testament was a bloody mess. My first quote-unquote real job, and I use that term lightly because growing up on a farm, helped dad out a lot, did a lot of bailing, always worked. But my first job outside of the farm was at a meat locker. And my job was to go clean up the kill floor after, obviously, they did their thing. Sacrifices, death, it's bloody, it's messy, 
There's no way around that. No way around that. When you read these verses, if you have never seen an animal being butchered, if you've never seen it, and none of really wants to see that, we have no idea what they went through on a daily basis back then. Imagine you did something, you realize you were wrong, so you go to the priest and you say, priest, I, I messed up. Priest says, okay, this is all, all what you have to do. You have to go pick some lamb out. So you go pick some cute lamb. And you've heard me say numerous times, once again, we grew up having lambs. There's nothing cuter than a baby lamb. I, I, they are just the cutest little animal. You pick this little lamb up. You carry this lamb. You take this lamb to in front of the priest. You put your hand on this lamb. And with one hand on the lamb, what's your other hand doing? You're slitting the lamb's throat. And as you're slitting the lamb's throat, the priest is catching the blood in a cup. So therefore, you can then sacrifice this lamb because you did something wrong. Old Testament was bloody. It was messy. And they had this full picture of what sin did. Sin kills. Sin destroys. Adam and Eve sinned. Animals died. Those animals became a covering for them because they did something wrong. Problem is, it never really took it away. Once again, it can never make those who approach perfect. Verse 1. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Basically, if saying if, if they really took care of sin, why would you keep doing it again and again? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. What a system. I sin, animal dies, doesn't take away my sin, just covers it up. It's just there to remind me, and I just keep reading through this process again and again and again. I'm only 33 years old. Do you know how many times I've sinned in my life? Do you know how many animals I'd be responsible for in the Old Testament? It'd be a burden. See, that's the purpose of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was there to show you you can't do it, you can't be perfect. So when you said, okay, I can do this, the Old Testament law says, no, you can't. You'd be killing animals every single moment of the day. I mean, can you imagine what it was like? And not only that... The financial obligation. We use phrases today like sin is costly. It would be literally costly in the Old Testament. You'd be throwing money away every time you sin because you have to go buy some bull, some lamb, some goat, or some bird to kill it. And then with a lot of the sacrifices, you don't get anything out of it. A lot of it just got burned up or what? The priest got a cut. Priests probably liked you coming a lot because they got supper out of you, but you didn't get anything out of it because your sin was just taken care of. So this leads us to Christ, obviously, verse 9 of Hebrews 10. It says, Behold, I have come to you, do your will, O God. This is Jesus speaking. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. But that we, that, excuse me, but that will we have been sanctified. Sanctified is a fancy word that just means set apart. We've been set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. One sacrifice for sins for everybody. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, note capitalized Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus said, I'll do it one time. Note the progression in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve sinned, animals died. It was a one-to-one -one thing. Anytime you sinned, an animal died. Okay, move past Adam and Eve, now you go to the Passover. Passover now became one lamb covered the entire family. Move past Passover now, and now you go to Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. One animal covered the entire nation. Move past Day of Atonement now and go to Jesus. One man covered the entire world. See, God started simple. It was a one-to-one, -one, then one to a family, one to a nation, then one to the world. 
And that's the purpose and point of Jesus. Jesus is a reminder of us of what they had to go through the Old Testament. And as you look at the Old Testament, Old Testament sacrifices are supposed to be a picture of Jesus Christ. So a lot of times when we look in those books in the Old Testament, the Exodus, the Leviticus, the Numbers, the Deuteronomy, we skip them because of how boring are they. You have to look through those books as a picture of Jesus Christ. And as you look at them as a picture of Jesus, you see this sacrificial system. And here's the catch. If you don't like the sacrificial system, guess what happens during the millennial reign of Christ in Ezekiel 40? The sacrificial system comes back. We're going to be sacrificing animals during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, some people get bothered about that, saying, well, wait a second, didn't you just read to us that Jesus was the one ultimate sacrifice for everything? So why would we go back and offer sacrifices again? We're not offering sacrifices in Ezekiel during the millennial reign because of sin. We're offering them as a, a pictorial reminder of what Jesus went through. Just like when you partake of communion. Are you literally putting Jesus on the cross every time you partake of communion? No, communion is there. We do this in what? Remembrance of him. So, in the millennial reign, when you go to the temple, expect to see blood. When you go to the temple, expect to see sacrifices. Those sacrifices are not there to take care of sin. Those sacrifices are there to be a visual reminder of what Jesus went through. So when we want to skip all that stuff in the Old Testament about sacrifices, well, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. You know, Jesus fulfilled that. Yeah, you're right. But it comes back because it's a picture of Christ, and God says, I want you to know what this stuff means and what this stuff represents. So with that understanding and with that introduction, flip, if you will, to the book of Leviticus. I will go on record. I say Leviticus, out of 66 books in the Bible, is the most boring book in the entire Bible. Now, some of you may disagree with me. What a, what a debate to have. What's the most boring book in the Bible? Leviticus has to be up there. But Leviticus has the most recorded words of God of any book in the Bible. Of any book. Because basically the only point of Leviticus is God telling Israel what to do. Now, before some of you get concerned and you say, okay, I'm not coming back to Wednesday nights for a while. We're only going to do... We're really only going to do about the first seven chapters of Leviticus. That's all. Because these are the ones that deal with us the most. And each one is kind of a topical message on their own. Because we talked about how there's five sacrifices in the Old Testament. The five sacrifices are there's the burnt offering, there's the grain offering, or you good old King James, there's out there meat offering, which is one of the funkiest things in the Bible where it says meat offering but has absolutely nothing to do with meat. Then you have the peace offering, the sin offering, and you have the trespass offering. That's what we're going to do here for the next few weeks. Let's talk about each one of these. Now, we're not going to look at it from an Old Testament perspective. We're going to look at how it represents you and it represents Jesus as you go through this. And I guarantee you, if you have never studied out the sacrifices before, I really think you'll like this. It's a real neat study on what this stuff means and represents. So with that being said, a little bit of background. Miles, can you put up the first PowerPoint thing there real quick? A little bit of background here. I want to make sure we're good to go on this. Because when we start using some of these terms that we're going to have here in a little bit, it gets a little confusing, it gets a little crazy when we start throwing around terms like tabernacle, altar, etc. So I think it's important here to kind of uh, give us a little bit of background of what's going on and to show us a little bit of uh, what it is. Oh, it's turned on now. It's coming on here in a little bit. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 1. So what we're going to do here tonight is we're going to do the burnt offering. And that's what we're going to talk about here first off. So, with the burnt offering there... Go ahead there, Miles, if you're ready to get this started. Okay, 
couple things here. This is the Old Testament tabernacle. Real quick, simple here. What we're focusing on tonight is right here, the bronze altar. First thing you would see as you walk into the tabernacle is this bronze altar. Can you go to the next slide, Miles? Bronze altar, right here. Bronze altar is about four to four and a half feet tall. It was about seven to seven and a half feet by seven to seven and a half feet. Biggest barbecue pit you've ever seen in your life. Now, if you think we're making a joke about that, we're not. It was like a big barbecue pit. When God designed this, this is wood outlined in uh, brass, if I remember correctly. And he said, I want a grill put over top of it. And this is what they did all day. There was meat being sacrificed on this thing. This is how they started out their mornings. They started out with the burnt offering. Every day, some lamb would be killed, chopped up, and thrown on this altar. So when you walk by the tabernacle, what you would smell all day is barbecue. Now, I'm not making a joke out of that. That's exactly what it was. It was meat being roasted and cooked all day. The Bible says it was a sweet aroma to God. Now, we're going to talk about what the burnt offering represented, but that's what it was. So imagine this thing, once again, about four, four and a half feet tall, about seven foot, seven and a half foot by seven foot, seven and a half foot, somewhere around there. And this is what they did all day was burnt offerings. Go to the next one, Miles. So just a little bit bigger picture here. This is a little more so you can see. You'd walk into the tabernacle here. First thing you see right there is this altar all day. And as one of the requirements of the priest was you just kept throwing wood on this thing. This thing just kept burning all the time, again and again and again. And go ahead and do the last one here, Miles. This is not a real photograph from the tabernacle. Don't look at it that way. Um, this is supposedly what it kind of looked like there. You can see how tall it was, about four, four and a half foot. You can see how big it was, and you can see the different people there. One guy's poking the meat, the other guy's there. They got piles of wood around, and that's what at least priests did. And they also wore special clothes. We're going to get to that here, maybe not tonight. But what happened was is when they start dealing with the ashes out of these burnt offerings, they have to put on special clothes. And don't ask me why for sure. I mean, we know the symbolism of it. God made them wear white. Now, if you've ever been around any type of barbecue or grill, white and that does not go together very well whatsoever. But that's they had to wear special linen clothes. And after they did some stuff, they had to go change their clothes and come back and do some more stuff. So that's what we're going to get into tonight. So that gives you some visual pictures of what we're going to go through. You can go ahead and shut this down now, Miles. So, burnt offering here. Let's just talk about this a little bit. You can follow along with me if you want in Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to be picking up in verse 3. Burnt offering. So, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, which you saw in that picture right there at the beginning. Then he should put, excuse me, then he should put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. Now stop right there. Depending on your financial situation in life depends on what you bought. If you were very well off, you bought the bull. Well, if you couldn't afford a bull, you went to the next one, and you would go ahead and get a ram. Well, if you couldn't get a ram, you would go then to a bird. Then depending on how much money you had with the bird, there was two or three different types of birds that you could get. Now, the reason I bring this up is so often in Christianity today, the subject of money comes up. And it always sounds like God is like broke. And it, sometimes pastors present God as almost he's running out of money. I love in the Old Testament here that God says, you know what, whatever financial state you're in, because I'm making it easy for you. Now, do you not ever stop and think, God, if you're trying to make it easy for him in the Old Testament, why do they have to pay for anything? Because I think with these offerings, there has to be a little bit of sacrifice. You know, imagine, once again, the emotional toil it would take of you doing something wrong, 
and you have to go kill an animal because of what you did. Okay, that would get tough. Now imagine the next thing of financially having to pay for your sins. See, that's why when Jesus came, the Bible said he paid off my debt. I'm, I'm thankful I don't have to give Jesus money to die on the cross for my sins. But in the Old Testament, if I did something wrong, and I'm doing decently financially, I have to go shell out whatever to get a bull, to get a ram, just because I messed up. It would hit you a little bit. It would hit you a little bit in your heart. It would hit you a little bit in your pocketbook. So what happens here, as it says right here, you got one hand on the animal, verse uh, 4. So one hand's on the animal, the other hand is killing the animal. As you are killing the animal, the priest have a special cup that's collecting the blood that's dripping down off that animal. Once you would take that blood, then that blood would then be sprinkled around. That's what God wanted you to do. After this, you would then skin the animal. The skins were then given to the priests. That's what the priests got out of the burnt offerings was the skin. So one commentator said they thought they got skins because it was the most financially... Um, valuable piece of the animal, and that's how the priest got something. Because with other sacrifices, the priest got meat. They were allowed to stick their fork in, and whatever they pulled out was supper. That's the way it worked. Burnt offering, they weren't allowed to do that. So the only thing they got was the skin, and obviously that was a valuable piece. So they get the skin, the rest of the animal is then cut into pieces, and it's thrown on that big altar, and it's burned up. Everything's burned up. Even the innards, as the Bible says, the entrails, depending on your translation right here. Go ahead and look, um, verse 6, And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood and order on the fire. But jump ahead to verse 9. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. So even the inside is washed, and even the inside is burned. So that's the burnt offering. You go... If you're financially well off, you bring a bull. If not, you bring a ram. If not, you bring a bird. You put one hand on it. You kill it with the other hand. The blood is saved, sprinkled around the altar. The animal is skinned, cut into pieces, put on the altar. It's burned. The priests get to keep the skin. You have to wash the intestines and everything, the organs inside, and then it has to be thrown in. Now, if that does not make you grateful for what you have today of, Lord, I'm sorry, and you're done, wow. Is grace a beautiful thing? Do you realize the process that went through in the Old Testament? And this isn't the sin or trespass offering. It's very similar, though. But to do something like that in the Old Testament, this wasn't just a quick, hey, I'm going to spend 30 seconds with God this morning. This was an ordeal. This was a, a, a long thing that went on. Jump ahead, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 6. There's a little bit of background more that goes on this. Leviticus 6, verse 8. In Leviticus 6, verse 8, it starts talking about how the fire needs to keep going again and again. They have to constantly keep putting wood on this. And also, it's in verses 8 through 13 that you see them having talking about the special clothes that they need to carry when they take the ashes out of the altar. And they keep talking about how, like, look at verse 12. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it in the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So, never go out. That, that was a, that's important. This offering continually happened again and again and again. It never stopped. That's the burnt offering. Now, if you just stop and you read that, you say, okay, what in the world am I supposed to get out of that? An animal being skinned, cut into pieces, thrown on this altar. It burns for a long time. I wash the intestines. I throw it on. The priests get to keep the skin, and they get to wear special clothes to take care of the ashes. Now, how in the world am I supposed to be edified by this? 
Okay, now you have to look at it from two perspectives. The first one, look at it at the perspective of Jesus. This burnt offering is a picture of Christ. Because why? One of the key components here of the burnt offering, it had to be what? Verse 3, a male without blemish. A male that's perfect. Well, if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 1.19 says that Jesus was the sacrifice that was without blemish. He was perfect. And so this is a picture of Christ. This is a picture of Christ that gave absolutely everything on the cross. Just as this burnt offering, everything was given. Even the insides were burned. Everything was totally consumed. Jesus was absolutely totally consumed on the cross. Jesus didn't wimp out in any way whatsoever. Could he have? Well, in the garden, he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me. But he didn't. He continued on. Just like with the burnt offering, totally consumed, so was Christ. Totally consumed in everything he did. And as it says right there in Leviticus chapter 6 about how the fire keeps going and the fire shall never go out, aren't you thankful that you're not going to wake up one day and find out that Jesus' sacrifice now wasn't good enough? Now his mercies just keep going on and on. Every morning when you wake up, the fire is still there. Because Jesus is still taking care of that sin problem. But, you know, I think it's a deeper thing, not for Christ, but really it's a picture of us. Because here's why. The burnt offering was offered, if you look right here, it was offered, verse 3, and his offering is a burnt offering, burnt sacrifice of the herd. Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will. God never required you to do a burnt offering. Now, as we get further in our study in Leviticus, sin offering, trespass offering, you were required to do that when you sinned. Burnt offering, you just did it because you wanted to do it. Now, why would anybody want to do this? Seriously, are you just bored on a Friday? I'm going to go kill a bull, get blood all over my hands, I'm going to spend money to do this, and what do they get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. At least next week when we go into the grain offering of chapter 2, you at least got to eat a little bit of your offering. Here in this one, you get nothing. You pay money to have an animal killed that you kill yourself. You're going to get to be a bloody mess. And then you have to go wash its insides? Not to gross shop, but one of the jobs I used to have to do at the meat locker was, it was called dog food. And so what happened was, is after the animals were killed, all the innards were put in this huge bucket, and I was given a hook. And it was my job to go into these innards and separate. And you can go ask Jason, because I can't remember. Jason was my boss there that's now running back running CBC. And I can't remember what organs I was supposed to pull out or not pull out that got to go into dog food. There were certain ones. You know how much a cow's lung weighs? It's pretty expensive. It's expensive. Excuse me. It's pretty heavy. And it's pretty gross. And you had to separate this into two piles of one that went into dog food, and the other one was something that was considered unusable. It was absolutely disgusting. So imagine now this person, you're killing the animal, and then you have to go wash, verse 9, its insides. Why would anybody do this? Because this is what the burnt offering represents. Now we're finally to our point. You've got five minutes now. Now we're finally going to give you the point of this whole message. The burnt offering shows your voluntary commitment to God. That you're just saying, I'm giving everything I have to God. I'm going to constantly consume myself into the Lord. I'm going to be totally burnt up in the Lord. Nothing left. I want nothing in return out of this, Lord. I'm just giving you everything. And I'm doing it, verse 3, out of my own free will. I am giving myself voluntarily 
over to you out of my own free will. That's what the burnt offering represents. And I want nothing in return, Lord. I realize what my sin does, verse 4. I put my hand on your sacrifice, God. And with one hand, I put my hand on Jesus. And with my other hand, I'm the one nailing him to the cross. Because I killed him because of my sin. And what do I get out of it? I get nothing. I take nothing from this sacrifice because this sacrifice is, Lord, all you. So why would I have to wash the innards and the intestines? Because God says, I don't want your skin. (laughs) I want your inside to be pure. See, God says, I don't care about the skin. Did you notice that? The priest got the skin. He goes, I want your insides. I want your guts. And I want them to be washed clean. Because how many of us look good on the outside? Our skin looks nice. God says, I don't care about the skin. I want your inside. If you're taking notes, just write down these verses. 1 Corinthians 6.11. 1 Corinthians 6.11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hebrews 10.22. Hebrews 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God says, I want your insides. See, so often we say, God, take the skin and let me keep the inside. God says, I don't want the skin because the skin can be fake. The skin is just a covering. I want your heart. I want everything on the inside. And this burnt offering shows complete, full dedication to God. Everything. And it's a complete, full dedication to God that never stops burning. Did you catch that? It always burns. Constantly on fire for the Lord. Once again, if you're taking notes, Luke 24, 32. Luke 24, 32. This is the disciples when they were talking to Jesus. After he rose from the dead, they said, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What makes your heart burn for the Lord? God's Word. I believe service is important. I believe worship is important. But there's only one thing the Bible says will make your heart burn for Christ more, and that's the Scriptures. And that's why we put such an emphasis on teaching God's Word out here. That's what's going to make you burn more and more. So let me ask you this. As a Christian sitting here tonight, number one, are you giving God your skin? Are you giving God your insides? Because He doesn't want your skin. He wants all of you. Okay, now that you give him all of you, every thought, every desire, your innermost part in being, now is it washed in Christ? As we just read there, is it washed in the water? Because it needs to be washed in Christ. Next one, is the fire still going? Or is your burnt offering kind of now started smoldering? You're not as on fire for the Lord as you used to be. You're not as excited about the things of God. Let me ask you this. This is as we read there in Leviticus chapter 6. Do you get up every morning and do a burnt offering? Do you get up every morning and throw wood on your fire? And say, Lord, I want to be on fire for you today. I want to burn strong for you today. I want to be totally consumed in you today. Because that's the whole point of it. Do you, as the Bible says here, are you a new creation? Because they had to put new clothes on, new linen clothes to go mess with the ashes. White. White represents purity. White represents redeemed. Do you put the white clothes of Jesus Christ on every day or do you walk around stained in the world? See, this all comes together now to be a picture of, of Christ. Are you voluntarily committing everything to the Lord? If you look in these passages, the word all is repeated again and again. All the meat is put on. All the wood is burned. All the flesh. All the innards. God says, I want everything. So when you study out a burnt offering, it's a picture of Christ, 
his perfection, and him dedicating himself totally towards God. But it's also a picture of us saying, okay, God, I'm giving you everything, my innermost being, washed in the word, washed in the water, committed to you, on fire for you, dedicated to you out of my own free will. They were never required to do this sacrifice. They only did the sacrifice if they wanted to. And it was quite a commitment to do. This is what I want to close with, and you all know the passage, but if you would turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Now, as we read Romans 12, 1 and 2, this passage takes on totally new meaning. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now when Paul writes to you in Romans 12 saying, be a living sacrifice, you know what, he, you know what he's saying now? Totally committed, on fire for the Lord, every part of you burned up, consumed, dedicated to God on your own free will. Every day, every morning you get up and you say, this is what I want to do, Lord. I want to serve you with everything I got. That's a burnt offering. It's a picture of Christ, but more importantly, it's a picture of us being dedicated completely to God on all we do and say. So that's the first sacrifice that we're going to talk about here. Next week, we're going to do the grain offering, and we'll talk about how that represents us, and that represents our walk with God. So before we close here, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we went over tonight, the sacrificial system, the burnt offerings, what it means, what it represents, or anything along that type of line here? All righty. If not, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, as we come to you now, we do offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is not giving you everything on the inside. They're just giving you the outer skin. Lord, you don't want that. You want the inside, Lord. And I pray that we would give you every part of us, washed in you, wholly committed to you, and Lord, on fire for you, that we would truly be consumed by the fire of who you are, Lord. We dedicate our lives to you. We ask that we would commit every part of our lives to you. No impurities, Lord. We want to walk around in those white linen clothes, because we want to be pure in all we do and all that we say. Holy committed to you, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen.